BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. First of all, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day to people who want to be mothers but are not mothers yet. Um, happy Mother's Day to people who are mothers to animals. Happy Mother's Day to anyone who considers themselves a mother in any way or just wants to celebrate today. So I hope you're having a really wonderful day. And I'm just going to go over some things that you guys submitted that you wanted me to talk about. Um, but first, I want to tell you that today's episode is really cool. It was really interesting to me. It's basically you learn about what sex type you are. And as you're listening to this episode, I really want you to go on the Jaya website and find out your sex type and share it with me if you can. Shoot me a DM. I'm so curious. I will tell you, someone asked what sex types my partner and I got. I got kinky and he got energetic. Very funny because I didn't think, I mean, there are things, there's some things about me that I feel like are kinky in terms of like what I'm into or like what turns me on. But I didn't know that that translated to sex for me. So I thought that was very interesting. You guys, you wanted me to talk about password sharing with a significant other. I truly believe it's a huge red flag if you don't know your partner's password to their phone or if they don't know yours. It's really crazy to me. Like if you share everything, you should be able to know their password and have no like desire to be tempted to look at all. Um, I've never had a partner whose password I didn't know. And if that were the case or if they changed it on me or something, like I would consider that a huge red flag. So like, for example, my partner now, I know I know his password, but it's funny. I always forget it for some reason because it's like kind of complicated. And so every time it's like I have to ask him for it almost like, you know, a few times a day because we use his phone to take pictures for my food Instagram. Don't expect salads because he has a better camera. And then so I'll always be trying to go into his phone to send myself the photos. And, you know, he he always freely gives it. And I think it would be a really weird red flag if he didn't. And also like if you're quarantined with your partner right now, there are no secrets. Like everything is out in the open. And if there is a secret, I feel like that's definitely a red flag. Like I, we were watching Normal People last night. We finally finished it. And I want to talk about that too. 
and he was texting with someone and I was like, who are you talking to? <laughs> and like, normally I wouldn't give a fuck, but like, we're just like, we have like, nothing's going on, you know? So it's like, everything's on the table right now, which is, which is interesting. I have pretty thin hair, so I've always had issues just like finding the right shampoo and conditioner. All I know for sure is that like, I hate anything with sulfates just doesn't work for me. And that a lot of the time when I use a regular shampoo and conditioner, my hair gets oily really quickly. And I hate that. I can't tell you how obsessed with Function of Beauty I am. Function of Beauty has changed hair for me in general. And you don't have to be frustrated anymore. Like you can experience what I'm going through and love your hair again. I used to dread washing it and styling it. Like I'm telling you, Function of Beauty will change that for you. No matter what kind of hair you have, whether it's curly or straight, natural or processed, thick or thin, Function of Beauty individually formulates every bottle based on your unique hair type, your style preferences, and your hair goals. All you do is you go to functionofbeauty.com slash Acme and you begin a four-question quiz and pretty much they know what you need after that for your hair and you get 20% off and you customize your formula with your fragrance and your color. I obviously green is my favorite color. So I did green and I did the rose fragrance, which I really love. And my name is even printed on the bottle. So it's like the cutest thing. Plus it makes my hair feel amazing. All these other products, like my hair, again, it gets oily so quickly. But with Function of Beauty, I only have to wash my hair two times a week, which is so much better for people with thin hair or just, you know, people with hair in general. So if you want to get started right now, go to functionofbeauty.com slash Acme, take your four-part hair profile quiz and save 20% on your first orders. Don't spend another minute in hair misery. I'm telling you, you need to go to functionofbeauty.com slash Acme. Let them know that we sent you functionofbeauty.com slash Acme and you're going to save 20% and you're going to love it. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Let's talk about normal people a little bit. I, I read the book by Sally Rooney. I was really into it. Spoiler alert, so, you know, skip ahead if you if you haven't finished the book or finished the show, but I didn't love the ending. I didn't understand why Marianne wouldn't go to New York with Connell. I just, like, I didn't get it, and I still don't really get it, and I was triggered when I finished the episode last night, and she said it again. It's like, there's nothing for you in Ireland. Like, I understand you want to keep your sense of self, and that I respect, but like, if you really love this person and you can't be without them, like go with them. It's one year and it's New York. Like, what are you doing? Um, I thought the show was really beautifully done. I think it's like one of the best shows I've seen in a while. And it really reminded me of The Notebook, like in a in a modern TV show in a lot of ways. It was perfect. The sex scenes were extremely realistic, which is good in that you know, it's good to have a realistic sex scene and bad in that we watched it with my parents. But all in all, like really amazing character development, fell in love with them as actors and think they're both going to be very successful and can't wait to see where they go in the future. So those are my thoughts on normal people. Sorry if, if it's windy. I'm, I'm sitting outside. So if you can hear the wind, I apologize. Um, posting with a new significant other. How soon is too soon? 
I mean, for me, I think I definitely did it a little too soon. I posted a picture with my partner and like it was just a few months after my breakup, but I was so happy. Like I just couldn't, I wanted to share it. And that's just who I am. Like I'm a sharer and I don't want to excessively post this person, but like if I'm happy, I want to post them. And you know, like once you're broken up with someone, like you don't owe them anything. So the reality is like you can post and you can't feel bad. Like you have to live your life. And if your ex is bothered by it, he should or she should unfollow you or mute you because that's just the way life goes. Like you either break up with someone or you get married. If you broke up, that's it. Like you go your separate ways. Watching porn with a significant other. So it's funny. I had never done this until recently with my now partner and we tried to do it, but we just like, we weren't interested for some reason. Like we just, we couldn't multitask. Like we couldn't just like sit there and watch porn without like being intimate ourselves. And then once we were intimate, like we had no need for the porn. I think like, I, I think it's okay to watch porn individually when you're apart from your significant other, which, you know, if you're quarantined together right now, isn't happening. But if you're quarantined apart or you're single, like it's really cool to watch porn if it's something you're into and figure out like what turns you on, at least in, in the realm of porn. It doesn't necessarily translate, right? But like just what what really gets you going, like it's so important to discover that on your own before doing it with someone else. And I think for me, that's why I wasn't really into watching porn with him because like porn is my weird thing where I might look at porn that I don't necessarily want in real life. And it's different. It actually kind of takes me back to normal people, how she was a little bit into being a sub, um, like into, you know, BDSM stuff, but she didn't necessarily connect it with her feelings. So like she could sub for, you know, a random dom that she didn't care about. But when she was with Connell, there were moments where she considered that. But ultimately she wanted to actually like, like make love with him. And I feel like that's similar to watching porn. It's like, yeah, it's fun. But it's for me, there's a little bit of a disconnect. We talked a little bit about the law of attraction, positive attracts positive, negative attracts negative. Yeah. I mean, the law of attraction is like, if you think positive, you're going to attract positive in your life. If you think negative, you're going to attract negative. You know, it can go with anything. It's not just positive and negative. It's like, if you want to be like, it's just like what you put out is what you attract is essentially what it is. And I couldn't agree more. And it actually makes me think about like, you know, being ready. Someone asked me to talk about being ready for a relationship. It's like, for me, it's like being ready for a relationship versus being ready for the relationship. And that's like the law of attraction. It's like, yeah, you can attract a relationship when, you know, and that's, that's easy, but can you attract like the relationship that you want to be in like forever? I feel like if you're going to do that, you really have to do a lot of inner work where you get yourself to a place where obviously, you know, you're not a finished product, no matter how old you are, you're still working on yourself. But if you do that work where you know yourself and you know what you want and you know your your weaknesses and your strengths and you feel really good about yourself because you have good self-esteem because you either do esteemable acts, you know, good things for people, you show up for people in your life, you know, whatever 
creates that self-esteem for you, that's when you are putting out that positivity that you're going to attract that person for you. And like for me, it was, you know, cutting out weed and, and alcohol and like being sober that actually got me to a place mentally where I felt like I was attracting the right person for me. And, you know, that doesn't mean everyone I dated in the past was had addiction problems or drank too much or whatever it is. But, you know, I wanted someone who really had their head on straight. And so when I got my head on straight, I attracted that person. And I'm really grateful for, for that. So, you know, whatever you need to do for you. Also, a lot of people were asking me to elaborate on why I stopped smoking weed. Um, if you go to patreon.com slash we met at Acme, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash we met at Acme, you can learn all about that. I have a post about it, but essentially it just wasn't, it wasn't serving me anymore. And I felt like I was a slave to weed and, you know, I needed it to relax and I don't want to rely on anything but myself to relax. Sex while at parents' house. Um, Yeah, it's definitely still happening. You just have to be careful and make sure the doors are locked. And, you know, if if the house like can hear everything, then put on some music, put on some TV, transition to parents and if it's affecting productivity. I mean, yes and no. I feel like I have to like run away from my family in order to get work done because everyone's just like in like running in and out, like screaming But other than that, no, it hasn't really affected my productivity. I feel really lucky to be here and be with my family. And, um, you know, I'm doing my best to continue to get work done. I just I actually feel like I'm way busier here than I was in the city. I don't know why that is. Maybe because like I'm feeding a family, like running around grocery shopping for, you know, four people. And then I'm also like cooking, but then I'm also working and like I'm interacting with more people. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Um, But regardless, I'm grateful to be here and I'm excited for you to hear this episode. So here we go. Were you a little too late on getting your mom a Mother's Day gift? Well, I'm sure you're not the only one. So take a deep breath. One thing that I would suggest, you know, you can say it's still in the mail, is Majuri. I'm literally touching my necklace right now. I'm so obsessed with it. I have an engraved necklace for myself. It's like a banner necklace. It's so cute. And I have my incredible bee bumblebee ring because I have a weird thing with bumblebees. And they happen to have a bumblebee ring. So it was like perfect. Majuri is such an incredible idea. It's basically fairly priced, handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry that's made to last. And it's a gift for yourself. Like you don't need to wait for anyone to buy jewelry for you. You're a strong, independent woman or man. And you know, you don't need anyone to get you stuff. Like I've been getting myself Majuri jewelry for years, like for as long as they've been around. And, you know, gifting is just so much easier because they have gifts that are all under $150. Like, and you can make it personal with engraving like I did with my Linny necklace. I'm telling you, it's the best gift. Engrave something for your mom, like best mom, or, you know, for a friend who's going through it at the time, or most importantly, for yourself. You can get free shipping on all US and Canada orders, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. So 
what do you have to lose? Literally nothing. Just go to Majuri.com slash Acme or use Acme at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first order. So M-E-J-U-R-I.com slash Acme, 10% off your first order. And really, you're going to love it. Like I'm telling you, it's gorgeous. And I wear my Majuri every day. It's like great everyday wear. And it makes you feel a little, a little bit more dressed up during these quarantine times where we're just kind of in sweatpants, but you can dress it up with your Majuri jewelry. So go to Majuri.com slash Acme and get 10% off. Let me know if you have any questions. As a parent, do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm super excited to be here with Ian Ferguson, a master trainer of the erotic blueprint mythology. Mythology. Methodology. Methodology. I knew I messed up a little bit. And the (laughs) co-founder of Jaya Inc a company dedicated to radically transforming how society discusses and experiences sex. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. Excited to be here. I'm sorry about our technical difficulties, but I'm glad we worked through it. Yep. Sometimes it happens. It does. It does. So talk to us. So how old are you and where are you from? I live in Boulder, Colorado. I used to live... You're in New York? Yeah. Yeah, I lived in New York for eight years. I lived in LA for 25. And uh, I am currently 52. Awesome. Yeah. Tell us, well, first of all, we are a little bit into astrology on the podcast. So I have to ask, when is your birthday? August 28th. So you are a Virgo. You got it. I am actually born exactly a month after you. Mm, What does that make you? A Libra. Ah, Libra, the balance. I have Libra sun and Gemini moon. Oh, very cool. Wait, no, you have a Libra rising and a Gemini moon. Libra rising. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. cool. Love it. That means yeah. you don't like to um, rock the boat, that Libra rising. Like you like to make people happy. Well, I, like, I do like to make people happy. I like balance. I like uh, beautiful design. I like that sense of symmetry and all that kind of stuff. Love so it. I relate to that part for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, what is the erotic blueprint methodology what does that mean okay well so the erotic blueprints are like a personality typing for your erotic style the way that you get turned on uh your superpowers and also the things that turn you off Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like do you know the five love languages yep okay so it's like that but for your eroticism Mm -hmm. so it breaks down into five different personality types in terms of uh, erotic uh, personality types and um I can just list them off, but we would need to dive into them in a little bit of detail to, for you to get the picture. Well, so how does one find out their erotic blueprint? And is that something that you created or something you just, like, you just know a lot about? No, it's something we created. So Jaya, my partner, somatic sexologist for over 20 years, um, working with private clients, group practice, Myself as well, diving in about six, seven years ago, much more intensely with the, with this work. The blueprints were born out of the body, mm-hmm. so they're not an intellectual idea of 
sexuality and sexual arousal patterns inside of people. They were patterns that Jaya started to notice in the somatic sexology practice with her clients, where she would do one version or have the partner try one thing with their, with their partner. And for one person, it would be complete turn on, totally aroused, off the charts. But then using that same technique or that same practice with another person was complete flatline. Mm. So this started to emerge as like, oh, this person is responsive in the energetic realm. But when it comes to kinky, they're a flatline. There's no response. They're not turned on. Maybe they're even shut down by it. And then this started to emerge as a much more complex system where a very specific language for each of the blueprint types in terms of what turns them on, their arousal pattern. When somebody gets to know their turn-ons, they have the ability now to articulate with a lover. This is my path to arousal. This is how, I don't like to use the use words, you're, this is how you're going to win with me, but mm-hmm. this is how there's going to be successful connection between the two of us if you approach me in this way first. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are the things, these are the shadow aspects of my blueprint. These are the shadow aspects or the darker edge where the breaks go on, where if you approach me this way, it's not going to work. I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to be connected to my sexuality and the traction will go down. Mm-hmm. And when we started playing with these in our own relationship, as well as she, she didn't bring these out into the public until she worked with clients with them for about five years where she, cause she was like, I don't, you know, I don't know if this has any truth to it, but in testing it over and over again and working with couples who were coming in with this, um, a lot of disharmony, maybe even resentments in the relationship, things were not working out. Often what it came down to, especially in the erotic realm, was that they were just speaking completely different languages erotically. They had assumptions. We love other people in the way that we like to be loved. And that's often not the way that they will receive love. Right. So I'm assuming that leads to, you know, one of the subjects that I want to talk to you about, which is why sexual incompatibility is a myth. and. Um, you know, that just hearing that kind of like made me say, there's no way that's possible, right? Because I've had tons of incompatibility sexually with someone. And um, that's not something like, I'm not the kind of person that would just like, oh, the sex was bad. You know, it's something that I, I communicate about with sure. that person. And, and still, you know, there was nothing you could have done. So, so how does... I guess the erotic blueprint or, or something like that maybe help to make like, or just back up the fact that that is a myth. So what it's coming back to the, the metaphor of language. Let's say you and I are interested in each other and you speak French and I speak German, mm-hmm. but there's an obvious attraction. We know however, in our sign language and whatever that we're like, Oh, you know, we love art. We love, and there's this hormonal connection. There's attraction. It's kind of like, um, so you speak French, let's say that's corollary to being an energetic blueprint type. And I speak German, let's say that's a corollary to our kinky blueprint type. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't just immediately dismiss you because you speak French. I'm like, oh, this will never work out because you speak French and I don't speak French and we're totally, this is a disaster. It's never going to work out. If I'm really into you and I want to find a place where we can come together, I'm going to want to have, I need the willingness to open up and say, okay, I'm going to learn French and vice versa. You can learn German 
And then we start to, at first, it's a rudimentary language, right? We're not going to be fluent in it. I'm not going to fully understand how to, how to speak your language. You're not going to fully understand mine. But as we expand into each other's blueprint, then we start to understand how to play with each other's arousal pattern, how to meet each other, where uh, sometimes it's really just stepping across into the other person's territory, playing in their arena of turn on. And I may have no turn on myself in what turns you on. So you could look at that as like, okay, there's incompatibility there. But again, it's just this expansion of erotic range, understanding and starting to integrate, you know, if your turn on is energetic, starting to integrate and find out where I can find my own turn on in what turns you on. And it's not immediate. So there's the, there's a sort of young love, new relationship. A lot of people default to what we call the sexual blueprint, because that's just, we're hot for each other and we meet in this place of sex and sexuality. And then over time, our core erotic blueprint emerges. And that's where what we might see as incompatibility starts to come up. The limerence wears off, the hormonal connection starts to fade away in terms of that immediate attraction. And that's where we need to start to actually learn how each other likes to be loved um, so that we can meet each other where, where each other's at, honor each other in the relationship. But wouldn't you say the best relationship would happen if you did that first instead of doing that only once things were getting stale, you know? Oh, sure. I mean, this is one of the things I think is a, what I think is a misconception of, about people in their own eroticism, especially for single people, is that they're not taking the time when they're not in a relationship to find out more about who they are as an erotic being, understanding what their turn-ons are, what their shadows are, what, the, what their traumas and um, belief systems are around sex, so that you can really articulate that. You can say what you know about yourself mm-hmm. and have this conversation from the very beginning. So you're creating a foundation of kind of raising the bar where I need someone to meet me in my sexuality. I know enough about my sexuality that I can articulately invite somebody into that conversation. And then I can find out, are you willing to have that conversation with me? Are you going to meet me in the willingness to, to find out how to please each other? But how can you find that out when you're single if you don't have like someone that you're at least, you know, having sex with? My, my belief or our belief is that we're erotic beings, whether we're in relationship or not. So what often happens with people's self-pleasure is we fall into ruts. Like this is, I masturbate in this particular way. It's results oriented. It's goal oriented. I need to get my ejaculation or I need to have my orgasm. Right. And then I've got my quick fix and I'm good. And that tends to be just sort of a habitual thing. We've all got our patterns around it. But when we're on our own, so I'll just I'll back it up as well to, to this thing of like our sexual energy is our creative energy. It is the energy from which we're all born. It is inside of us, whether we're in relationship or not. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of, are we willing to be in that space so that we're cultivating it and uh, using that sexual energy, that sexual power to create more aliveness, to create more hormonal balance, to lower stress in our life and build the, 
oxytocin and dopamine and all the hormones that make us vitally alive, which if we're fully erotically alive while we're single, it also increases things like charisma, you know, like people's attraction to us because we're fully in our body, we're connected to our body, and it has nothing to do with whether that's shared with another person or not. So what people often don't do is take time to explore, take 30 minutes to just do something that's not about getting to an orgasm, but discovering, uh, you know, like if you're using the blueprints as a template for self-discovery, how would I play with myself energetically? How would I play with myself sensually? How would I play with myself sexually in the kinky blueprint? And then what is it like if I'm playing in a full out shapeshifter? Right. So we haven't defined what those mean for your audience, but it's about erotic dynamic range. So mm-hmm. again, coming back to that language metaphor, there's a children's book called Brown Bear. I don't know if you know it, but it's like Brown Bear, Brown Bear. It's super rudimentary. It's like most people are walking around speaking Brown Bear, Brown Bear in their sexuality. And there's Moby Dick waiting for you. You just don't have any idea what the vast opportunity is for personal pleasure. I was really skeptical at first when I heard of like subscription boxes in general, because I was like, well, I actually need and use everything in one until I found Causebox. The reason I'm so obsessed is because Causebox is for women by women. So it's curated by a bunch of really smart women who actually know what we're going to need and what we're going to use. And they like, they're intuitive. They know ahead of time. And so there'll be things in it that you really need, like these earrings that I'm wearing now that I've been obsessed with forever. It's like a stud, but like a slit, but I'm obsessed with these earrings and my jade face roller. Like I never knew that I needed a face roller ever since I've had it and been using it. My jawline is like stronger and all the bad skin is gone. And like it brings all the good skin up from my face, which I'm obsessed with. If you don't know about Causebox, all you need to know is that their last four boxes sold out within days. So I'm telling you, this is worth it. You can get over $250 worth of products for less than $50. And each cause box is a limited edition. So it comes with, as I mentioned before, like six to eight full-size products. You can get anything from skincare to jewelry, like my earrings that I love, to homewares, accessories, like coffee cups and things like that. And the amazing thing is it's not filled with random shit that you don't need. It's really so incredible. And I really want you to experience it too. They ship right to your door for free, which is so convenient when we're all stuck in our homes during this quarantine period. And you can get it, you know, as a gift for a loved one. It's like the perfect thing. If you haven't gotten your mom a Mother's Day gift, get her Causebox. You just go to causebox.com slash Acme and use the code Acme and you'll get 30% off your first box. So that's over $250 worth of stuff for less than $39 and free shipping. Like, what are you waiting for? Go to Causebox right now, slash Acme, and use code Acme. You will get 30% off. I can tell you firsthand, you're going to love it. Do you think that you would be able to go through a few different types of blueprints for us? Maybe like the most common or something? Well, there's five of them, and I can give you sort of like the headlines for each one. Um, The energetic. Energetics are turned on by space, anticipation, tease, 
superpowers for an energetic or being able to have an orgasm with your with a person standing 20 feet across the room they could have an orgasm with a breeze blowing across their skin or the sunlight hitting them in a certain way must be nice <laughs> yeah exactly um, and it, so that's their superpowers. Their shadow aspects are often that they're so energetically sensitive that if you approach an energetic too fast, too quick, move for their genitals, you go right for the sexual, they're going to shut down. Um, sometimes, not all the, all the times, but sometimes energetics are so sensitive because they'll have some kind of trauma in their past. So they've become really attuned to, you know, fight or flight protection. I've got to make sure I'm safe. The central blueprint is they bring the beauty to sexuality. They're the ones, you know, they, they want the music just right, the lighting just right, the smells and everything in the room have to be just right. The magic power, the superpowers of the sensual, they can have like full bodied orgasms. When they're in their body, fully alive, fully connected, they can have non genital type orgasms from eating an incredible strawberry because mm. of just the sensuality of it. So sensuals will often, like when they're eating or enjoying something, you'll hear sensuals moaning. They'll be like, oh, and they'll touch their body a lot. They're, where an energetic, I talked about an energetic feeding off of space and anticipation and tease. So it's like they find the intensity and the attraction in the distance, mm. but the sensual finds that in the collapsing and the sensual connecting, cuddling, kissing, really being up in your, up in your grill. So that's what they're turned on by. Mm -hmm. And a shadow side for the sensual would be one main thing is that they're prone to distraction. So the littlest thing can take them out of their arousal. The lighting's not right. The socks are on the floor. I forgot to call that person, you know, that I needed to call earlier today. And they just completely detach from um, being able to be connected or like they're taking too long down there. How do I smell down there? All of those things can interrupt the ability to, to drop in. That sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> I think, so one thing I would probably, if I'm looking at you and I'm just trying to like peg you, uh, is this your house, your artwork yeah. on the wall? Yeah. So you have a textured sweater, right? Yeah. Um, you've got art that has a lot of texture to it. You've got your coffee mug, even the way that you hold your coffee mug with two hands. It's sort of like a connected <laughs> thing with your coffee cup. But yeah, so, you're right. It probably would have been my first guess if I just had to guess with a few cues. Okay, and what's the uh, fuck it? Let's go. Let's say all five. If you if you're able to, yeah, I can. Um, so the sexual is the what we think about sex. It's like the people who are just turned on by genitals and orgasm. And if, if everybody's had an orgasm and everybody's ejaculated, woo, success, yay! We've had a fantastic sexual adventure. They bring the fun to sex. They go from zero to 60 in, in their arousal um, as long as those triggers are being hit. One of the challenges for the sexual often isn't their challenge, but is the challenge of their partners because the sexuals are so driven by that sort of outcome-based sexuality that they miss the ride. They don't know how to meet their, they don't know what energetic is. Like, what is all that? With the sensual, it's like, why do we need to set the lights and do the thing and have the music and have the bath and the candles? Let's just fuck. And a shadow side for the sexual is, is often that, like their partners being left out. Sometimes it can be sexual shame. So there'll be a lot of vulva-bodied folks who walk around with a mask of the sensual or the energetic because that's what's acceptable in female sexuality. 
So a highly sexual female may be shamed for their sexuality. So they may have a dose of shame on the you know, cock body, their masculine side. It's this thing of the good boy. This is something that I suffered with. I have you know, sexual desire, but if I project it out onto another person, I'm a dick. I'm a, you know, like that. So I, I, I kind of buried that aspect of my sexuality for years because I, I adopted that good boy approach to it. The um, kinky is how we phrase kinky is whatever's taboo for you. Right. Like some, so kink, someone who has a kink. Hmm? Someone who has a kink. Yeah. It's just something that like feels taboo. We have the stereotype of kinky being whips and chains and dungeons and leather and uh, really intense play. It definitely includes that. But like we had one uh, couple, the clients who they'd had sex in missionary position for 35 years, went to the same restaurant every Tuesday, had sex on every Thursday, did it the same way. And it was their belief system. So having sex in doggy style was total taboo. It was like, oh, that's incredibly like enticing and, and risky feeling. Mm-hmm. And then there's the psychological kink. Those are the people who are really turned on by power games, uh, like dominant submission, playing with uh, like predicament bondage. And it's, it's much more in the mind. Superpowers for kinkies. Also, they can have non-touch, non-genital orgasms. And then there's the physiological or sensation-based kinky. That's where you get into bondage and scratching and slapping and hooks and, you know, all that fun, exciting stuff. And I think I made it to the final one, which is the shapeshifter. Oh, big shadow for the kinky is shame. Mm. Because, oh, what I'm, I'm so weird for feeling this way. Why am I turned on by this? Nobody's going to understand me or accept me. So there can be a lot of hiding of desire for the kink. Mm-hmm. and uh, making oneself wrong. And then the shapeshifter is the type that just loves it all. They love it all. They want more. And they, the, it's like you can be three hours into a lovemaking session and you're exhausted, but your shapeshifter partner's like, what are you doing? We just got started. That's the foreplay. Let's keep going. Yeah. Uh, and then a risk for the shapeshifter can be we almost think of it as a sixth um, blueprint, which mm-hmm. is you have the shadows of all of the blueprint types. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, if the room's wrong, your arousal drops. If the, ener- if the energy's not right, your partner's not in the perfect mood, the energetic shuts down. Mm-hmm. The kinky's got the shame and the sexual is just too results oriented and doesn't understand why we have to do all this busy work to have a intimate adventure. Mm-hmm. People reach out to me all the time um, for dating advice and like I'm self-proclaimed kind of learning everything as I go. Um, but I try to be helpful. And someone reached out to me recently and they said, I've been dating my partner for a year. And, um, you know, now he tells me that he wants to do like a daddy daughter, like daddy dom little girl thing. Yeah. She's yeah. like, I tried and it, I just can't. Like, I can't get into it, and I just, I can't, like, wrap my head around it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. What would your advice be, what would you say to someone like that? Well, there's a number of ways to start to approach that divide. Ultimately, there's the, if you're committed to the relationship and you're willing to explore and discover, willingness is the bottom line. Like, are you willing? 
Mm-hmm. Are you really like in this relationship and you want to see how we can find a way to meet your desires? So once you've got the foundation of willingness, then it's the process of discovering where the two interests can meet. Mm-hmm. And I would first just recommend a lot of curiosity on the part of the woman who who's, can't meet him there. Mm-hmm. Start to ask questions like, what, what does this mean to you? And why are you turned on by it? And what about it turns you on? So that she can start to get a broader perspective of the aspects of the game that turn him on. Mm-hmm. And then she may be able to find the hook for herself of like, oh, I can relate to that aspect. And can we try it in this way? It may not look exactly like the scenario that you laid out, but here's where I can meet you. Right. So, you know, one, one, of the tech, one of the things that we have for our clients is something called the sex communication checklist. And this is a list of all of these sort of different sexual activities and ways that you can play together with a partner or with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is you take this checklist. It's all broken down by blueprint types. And you go and you hang out with the list on your own. You check off the boxes of the, I'm a hell yes to this. I'm a willing to on this and I'm a no way to this. Right. So when you've laid out that entire chart and then you come and compare it with somebody you're dating or somebody that you're in a relationship with, you instantly have this comparative list of like, oh, we match up on all of these hell yeses. Right. These you're willing to, I'm, I'm really into it. So that's a place we could play and experiment. And then here's the no ways, totally off the table, not interested in playing. So it, again, it just keeps coming back to this thing of being able to articulate mm-hmm. because this is a language, like eroticism is something that has been buried in the shadows for thousands of years. Right. And people are walking around with the brown bear, brown bear kids version of something that's very, very complex and needs subtlety, needs artistic artistry, has needs the ability to know all the brushstrokes, know all the tools, know all the, to really be able to find the places where we can come together. What if your absolutely no way is their number one? Um, again, I always move to curiosity. So often in relationships, we get stuck on tactical answers to things. Mm-hmm. I want it this way. and if I'm not being met that way, then my partner is not meeting my needs. I'm not going to get my needs met. Uh, resentments and and uh, the the sort of devolving circle of that relationship. But if we look more towards the true desires and the wants, mm-hmm. it's more often than not if we stay in that uncomfortable space of I don't know how to make this work, but we're working creatively to find the solution. Then we get into what I call empathetic resonance, mm-hmm. where I get so connected to your desires and what it means for you that I, it's not, I'm not sacrificing something to, to provide that for you. Right. I've actually gotten so connected to it that it is my desire to provide it for you. So, like a compromise. No. So, we have a, a mentor named Kelly Bryson, who's got a phrase that I just love, that compromise is resentment 50-50. Meaning you kind of resent each other? What's that? Meaning you both kind of resent each other? Yeah, because you're compromising. You're giving up something. Right. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the empathetic resonance, 
you go so deeply into the conversation of vulnerability mm-hmm. that you you become connected to your partner's needs, wants, and desires. You find a creative way to meet them. It may not be the tactical way, like the daddy daddy dom little girl scenario that your uh, the person was asking advice of advice about. Right. Maybe this scenario isn't the daddy dom little girl, but it's some version of that where he's the voyeur and she's the the voyee, mm-hmm. and they found a different way to play with that dominance thing that's going to still meet his turn on, and she's found her own turn on in it. Mm-hmm. So it's not compromise, but it does take time and it takes finesse and a real willingness to be vulnerable and walk into some really uncomfortable spaces in terms of the conversation that you're you're having with your lover. What would you say to a couple who both likes kind of like performing? Like you both like, you know, the idea of people not necessarily watching, watching but like the threat of people watching, especially in a time like now in quarantine when like, you know, that's not happening. <laughs> so is this, uh, what, what's inhibiting this uh, theoretical couple from just having that experience? Well, the fact that there's no way somebody could watch right now. Because of Corona? Yeah. I mean, unless you're like video chatting someone. Yeah. You got all sorts of, again, you got creative solutions to this, this thing. You know, if you're in New York and you've got a window that faces out on the street, you can, if it's the risk of being watched, you could leave the drapes open or mostly open and mm-hmm. be uh, having intimacy close to the window. There's, and if the two people obviously are not quarantined from each other mm-hmm. and they're able to be with each other, there's all sorts of ways to be observed or, or to have that sort of thrill. Mm-hmm. You could be having loud sex. So you're just thinking, you know, it's like being heard by the neighbors could feed right. that erotic turn on. Right. You just got to get creative. You could do like silhouette sex where you've got the curtains to the window and you're, you set a strong light on the other side of yourself and you got the silhouette on the curtains. So what's the, what's the most rare blueprint? I think one of the most misunderstood, I actually don't think it's very rare, but the one that is can, most confusing to people is the, the energetic. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of models for energetic sex in our culture. So there are a lot of the cock-bodied masculine people who are walking around with a sexual mask. They mm-hmm. think this is what's expected of my gender. This is, I'm supposed to be turned on by genitals and Uh, you know, orgasm and all that sort of thing, but they'll find themselves just being shut down by it. Then they think something's wrong or broken about them. They've got the sexual mask. And until they, we have this all the time, people just taking our quiz, our our blueprint assessment, where all of a sudden they felt, they're like, oh my God, I had no idea this even existed. I'm not broken. I'm not wrong. There are other people like me. So now it's just a matter of like, oh, there's people like me and now I, get to, now I get to learn about this thing that I didn't even know existed. I think the energetic is, is the most misunderstood, but it's not less necessarily the least common. I think there's, there's a lot more energetics running around than, than, uh, than know that they're energetics. Very cool. So how can everyone find this test and take it? Is it free? Do they have to pay? They do not have to pay. It's an assessment. The, the only fee is your email because we send you a video about your blueprint type. We dial you in on the superpowers of your blueprint and the shadow potential shadows for your blueprint. 
but they can get there at uh, www.eroticbreakthrough.com. Just like it sounds, all one phrase, eroticbreakthrough.com. And uh, it take you about five or 10 minutes. You'll get an instant video. Well, in 10 or 15 minutes, you get a video about your type. Mm-hmm. Um, and another cool thing about our assessment is when you take the quiz, you'll get your primary type, the one that's your most forward, easiest path to arousal. But you also get your chart of all the other types and where you rank mm-hmm. percentage-wise. Kind of like love languages. Yeah, exactly. I'm 37% kink. I'm 23% sensual. Uh, you know, 10% or 12% energetic, and and zero shapeshifter or something like that. What is your love language, by the way? My love language mm-hmm. is mostly touch. Interesting. What's yours? I feel like that's typical Virgo man. Is it? <laughs> What's yours? Um, mine is acts of service. Ah. But also words of affirmation and physical. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all very close. Yeah. I always get confused with love languages as in like, is this what I'm putting out or what I like to receive? Or is it one and the same, you know? Well, it's what the thing is, it's how you receive love. Um, and there's an interesting thing that I just uh, came across a few weeks ago about a sixth love language, which mm. is space. Mm. People who actually like space from their lover so that they can feel their own energy. And this, this would be more like the love language for an energetic. Right. So get that openness so that I don't have to always be performing for my partner. And Are you familiar with, it's like another test that you could take to find out. Um, let me tell you right now. It is called human design. Yeah. Do you know? I'm not that? super familiar with it, but there's a projector, there's the, Oh, I'm not going to be able to name them. Yeah, no, um, no I know. Projector, generator, manifesting generator, um, blah, blah, blah. But I asked because when you brought up space, I believe projectors need a certain amount of space. So that's interesting that it can be a love language as well. They need to be invited into right, take exactly. action. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we usually wrap up the episodes with like a rapid fire question thing. and. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you a, a quote that you really like. So get ready for that. Okay. I got to think of in my quote bank of quotes mm-hmm. that I like. I'm so bad at that. Do things go back to normal if you get back together with an ex or is it a different relationship? So back to normal or a different relationship? I would think that it's likely to be a different relationship because you're coming back having had an opportunity to find some more things about yourself mm. and bring that information back into the, into the fold. Hope it is, but I feel like it's always back to normal. <laughs> Can a person who needs a lot of affection make it work with someone who is not affectionate? Uh, again, it's like bridging the gap. Right. You got to have willingness. Yeah. Is it ever okay to fake an orgasm? Why would you? I think, like, what's the point? Like, why give the person like... A pat on the back for no reason. (laughs) All right. Those are the poll question roundups of the day. And now, Ian, will you share with us a quote or piece of advice that has helped you throughout the years? Mm. Big piece of advice is to stay curious. Mm. Talked about it earlier. 
Mm -hmm. But it's the strategy that people don't often use when it comes to conflict. Yeah. People get positional, they get right wrong, and curiosity. Uh, so I'll, I'll add another piece to it is pay attention to your body signals. Mm. So being able to get really body aware and notice, uh, I feel tension, I feel uh, restriction, I feel open, knowing because the body is like the canary in the coal mine. It's the thing, it's the indicator that says something's up, positive, negative, whatever it is. And then acknowledge it. And if it's a contraction or it's some kind of thing of moving into defensiveness or you know, right, wrong, take a breath and get curious. It's in the moment between the action and the reaction that we express our humanity. That's a mauling of a quote by uh, Viktor Frankl from Man's Search for Meaning. And so it's in that gap between a stimulus and a response that we get to express our humanity. And that humanity comes from curiosity of how can I respond to that stimulus Mm. in a way that is expressing my highest nature. Love that. Thank you so much, Ian. I know you already gave us the website, but is there anywhere else that we can, um, you know, keep posted on everything that you're doing? Yeah. So my, uh, I'm in business with my partner. So the, the main place to go for our stuff is Jaya, J-A-I-Y-A dot love, L-O-V-E, Jaya dot love or jayalove.com. And again, you spell her name J-A-I-Y-A. Uh, that's the website. Got a bunch of information, good stuff on there. And the quiz though, you know, I'm just really about wanting to get the information in people's hands and having them empowered. So the quiz is really the, that's the treat. We'll put it in the episode details so people can click right, right there. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ian. Hope you're having a safe and um, not too stir crazy quarantine. <laughs> Thank you. I wish the same for you. 